I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long-term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. It feels like the the new version of pop-up general contractor to me. We would become more transient, basically chasing a, a lower cost of living. Millennials, the majority of them live between 1,000 and 2,000 square feet. And not to mention, like, it's a really nerve-wracking thing seeing your house drive down the road. (laughs) (laughs) The building industry has long been reluctant to change. When things are going well, developers and builders have had no incentive to rock the boat. But now... Post-recession, a shift in society and culture has ushered in a tidal wave of change in the industry, and there's no going back. Welcome to Spaces, where we explore and analyze how the building industry is evolving, from design and construction to management and economics. Join hosts Jason, Ali, and Demetrius as they discuss the evolution of your spaces. Hello, my name is Demetrius. This is Jason. Hey, guys. This is Allie. She's back. I'm back. Hi, guys. And this is Spaces. So thank you again for joining us, everybody. Over the last uh, nine episodes, this is our 10th our episode, guys. It's gone by pretty quick. But over the last nine episodes or so, we've kind of given a peek into the millennial characteristics and interests um, in regards to the building industry, the progress of technology, society, economy and kind of what what our generation values has completely changed how we kind of live and work and for these reasons a a certain somewhat controversial trend has kind of taken hold and that is the tiny homes you really like those things don't you oh yeah (laughs) so today uh in talking about the tiny homes we wanted to bring in a, a guest who uh, if you listen to some of our past episodes, you got an idea of what some of our perceptions of the tiny homes are uh, in the room and, and how we feel about it. Uh, so we brought in a guest that has firsthand knowledge of both designing and building a tiny home. Uh, he's most notable in the design community for kind of taking a hands-on experiment um, with the design build, uh, affordable housing and alternative housing concept. Uh, he designed and built his own tiny home, which is known as the Canetto House, uh, which was featured on HGTV's uh, show Tiny House Big Living 
and on the DIY network. He's presented at South by Southwest and recently published a book um, sharing his experience on designing, building, and, and living in his tiny house, uh, which is called Going Tiny, uh, Failure and Opportunity in the Future of Affordable Housing. Uh, his name is Davis Richardson. Davis, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, guys. It's great to be here. Uh, so, uh, so we're excited to get you on on the episode and uh, kind of give us your insight uh, and convince um, convince us. Well, I'm I'm kind of on the fence, but uh, to to convince people of if tiny homes are good option are a good option or not. Well, maybe it'll take a celebrity to convince. Davis, <laughs> I didn't realize you were so <laughs> so famous. Uh, I, I wouldn't. Celebrity would. I don't think would be the right word. <laughs> <laughs> I've had. I, yeah, I had 22 minutes of fame on HGTV, which was. It was fun. It was. I wouldn't call it reality, uh, <laughs> but it was. It was fun. <laughs> More than a lot of people get. So. Yeah. That's it's, cool. Yeah, it's, it's true. It's good to be here, guys. So, what was that experience like filming? Filming that whole uh, thing. It was surprisingly quick. Uh, they only filmed maybe six or seven days total uh, during the build. Uh, so I built the house after I graduated college, uh, graduated with my undergrad uh, from Harding University. So we built it in the summer of 2016, almost two years ago now. And uh, and so we applied. Uh, we had uh, a friend of my mom's knew we were building it and had seen that they were doing open casting calls. So we, uh, me and my friend who were building it applied on a whim. And ended up getting it, and they, yeah, so they came out, shot six or seven days, and that was it. Um, the days that they were there shooting, it was really frustrating. I mean, it was a lot of fun. I mean, there's camera crews and stuff. But, yeah, I mean, it was really frustrating because you don't really get a lot done when they're there filming. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I was, on, I was on such a tight deadline. Because <laughs> you was were, like, I, this better be worth it. Because <laughs> you, you were building it for, uh, for or you're going to, or you're living in it for school. You're in your master's program right so you had to get it done before before you went to school right yeah so i was on i was on a very tight deadline so i graduated in may and then i was headed here to austin in august uh to start grad school Uh, i'm a uh, master's of architecture student here at ut so i had it ended up being about nine weeks that i was going to have to build it um which in hindsight i would never do that (laughs) i would never do that um but i had I had a friend and my cousin uh, who were both totally on board and crazy enough to, to help me with it. So yeah, <laughs> but we got it done. We got it done. So, you know what I think I was, is really interesting that I really like actually is the fact that you're you know you're going to school for architecture, but at the same point, you know Demetrius and I talk about stuff like this. You kind of also had to be the engineer with it at the same time and truly put it to the test in what you designed. I think that's you know somewhat different from what the industry sees most of the time. It's like you have a design and then you send it to somebody else to actually put it together and make it work. And there's usually a ping ponging back and forth. So I think that's pretty cool. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, with a lot of larger projects, I mean, you totally, as an architect, you, you just couldn't do this. Um, but with something this scale, I knew, um, I, I guess I I was weighing my options for the summer and I knew, okay, I could go home back to Atlanta where I grew up, which is where I built the house. And I was like, you know, I could go get an internship before I start architecture school. I, I was thinking about this and knew it was going to be a lot more valuable. Like I'd learn a lot more yeah. just through the process of like putting it all together myself. And it, t- it so was like, it was, it, I mean, not only has it opened up op- open doors and opportunities, like just being here and, and stuff with HGTV and all that. But yeah, the process of, of putting together a house. The thing I always say is like, I, I had so little time to do it that I didn't really stop and think about a lot of things. <laughs> uh, one of them being like, it's really hard work to build a house. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> like, uh, and I was an athlete in college, so I thought, you know, anything like with my hands, I was like, oh, I can do that. I'm in shape right. for that. And you just don't, you don't think about how difficult it is to get up and every morning and be like, you got to spend 12 hours on this house. <laughs> but, but yeah, so I mean, I totally, I learned, I learned so much from doing it. Would you, would you say, I'm sorry, would you say real quick, you're a little bit more mechanically inclined? So had you put stuff together like with your family or your dad or, you know, whatever, Uncle actually, Bob or, you know what I mean? Actually, like, no, not at all. My my dad, I mean, we had a workshop, but but my dad wasn't really, uh, you know, like we didn't really build things growing up. Dad's gotcha. a wonderful dad, not a knock on him. Yeah. Just not our thing. Yeah, we love you, Dad. Uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that, that wasn't our thing. Uh, my cousin, Mac, who helped me build it, he's an electrical engineer. So he helped okay. me with that, with the electrical stuff. And we had been, over the last couple of years, starting to get into building furniture. Got it. But really, I mean, we had only built like two pieces before and not like fun, <laughs> not fun woodworking by any means. It sure. was just like some plywood, more DIY stuff. Cool. Um, and I, I just, honestly, it was just, it had gotten me enough of a taste to like, Oh yeah, I can use power tools if I need to. <laughs> Not that I really knew how to use a table saw, but like, yeah, we can do that. It you. was so naive, but, but it, it, you know, turned out good. Teaches you the best lessons. Yeah, it really does. So Davis, before we uh, get too far into the details, I wanted to give, uh, you know, take a little moment to, to plug your, your website, um, your Instagram, any other social media yeah, so you can see, so follow me on Instagram. I have a design account. It's Davis Richardson Design uh, on Instagram. So I post some stuff about the tiny house, but a lot of stuff of uh, ongoing architecture and design work I'm working on. Working on some cool stuff right now. So give, give that a check. You can see my website. It's just davisrichardson.com. Uh, it's kind of an online portfolio of work. And then uh, obviously talked about the book. Uh, it's on Amazon. It's going tiny. Um, so go check it out if you like what you hear today. A lot of this is kind of like coming out of the book, and it's really—it's not super, It's not a heavy read. It's pretty short. You can sit down and read it in a day if you wanted to. I think it's a, an enjoyable uh, analysis of kind of where we're at uh, with affordable housing and tiny houses and all that. I just gave it a follow on Instagram, so we're good. All right, man. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, and hit that follow back. And I, I really—I I read the whole thing. Yeah, you could if you sat down, you could probably knock it out in a day or two. And I like it's that kind of new, uh, new style where it's kind of more conversational. Um, but yeah. you hit a lot of good points um, with the environment, with uh, touch on the legal part of it, um, the actual construction, what you like, don't like. Um, so it's uh, very detailed. So if anyone is considering going the tiny home route, it's a it's a good good read to to kind of get an understanding of it. Davis, uh, where do we come from on, on the tiny homes? Uh, you kind of touched on it in the in the book. Can you can you give us some insight on, on where we've come and kind of where we're going? Yeah. So I guess maybe the first tiny home you could you could really think of outside of RVs might have been like Airstream trailers back in the mm-hmm. I don't know when they started making those 40s, 50s, 60s, mm-hmm. which actually are still here in Austin are, are actually quite big. A lot of people are living in those as a kind of form of tiny house, but the tiny house that we, as we know it, or uh, a tiny house on wheels, uh, really started in 1999. A guy named Jay Schaefer, who was not an architect or a designer, he was an artist, I believe. I guess he had an interest. I, I don't know exactly. I don't remember exactly off the top of my head uh, how he thought to put it on a trailer, put a, put a house on a trailer. Um, but he uh, apparently, what happened was he was thinking about it, and then he realized it would kind of be illegal if he did it. So he decided to do it uh, because that was the kind of person he was. Yes. Uh, and so artist yeah, mind. Not, wouldn't be, wouldn't be my attitude towards it. Uh, well, I guess in a way it was though. So, um, like but yeah, rebel. so, so he realized he could, he wanted to build some kind of like small house, I guess on a foundation realized, uh, he'd have to go through codes and the, uh, that the residential code basically has standard minimums, uh, for, you know, square footages and, uh, like windows and egress and all that stuff. It's yeah. life and safety issues really. Yeah. Um, and he realized he couldn't do what he wanted to with, you know, going through a permitting process. So he decided, you know what, if I build it on a trailer, I don't have to get it permitted cause it's considered a vehicle. Um, so he built the first one and it was basically like a little cottage or chapel looking thing on a trailer. He put a little front porch kind of on the, on the end, on the back, back end of the trailer. And so he started Tumbleweed Tiny, Co- Tiny House Company, which is what a lot of people uh, still think of today when they, when they think of tiny houses. Or it's, they're kind of the most prominent tiny house builder, um, which is interesting because they still sell basically a, a replica of the one he made mm-hmm. in 1999. Do they operate across the country? I believe they do. I don't know uh, where or how many factories they have. I think he was in... I want to say he was in Portland. I can't. I'm, I'm pretty sure this is in the book. I should know this. Uh, I think he's in Portland, which which sounds about right. Hey Davis, I think I know where you kind of got that feeling of it coming from Portland. Just before Jay started, uh, back in 1997, Portland actually passed a an ordinance that allowed accessory dwelling units. That's probably where he started to get some of the motivation to actually do it. But I think his inspiration possibly came from 
um, Henry David Thoreau back in uh, 1854. He actually written a book called Walden, uh, where he kind of did an ode to a simpler life and and highlighted living in a 100 square, 150 square foot home in the middle of the woods. And, and that kind of thinking had existed for a while. And that's when Jay, I think, really kind of uh, took that next step. And after the 2008 recession, the concept started to come to the forefront. But I think Portland is standing out because a lot of companies and tiny homes started to come to the forefront uh, out of that community. But Tumbleweed, um, I would imagine, was one of the more big, well, more prominent names because of Jay. They're they're definitely I think the biggest I think they're the biggest tiny house manufacturer There have been a lot in the last uh, even in the last two years Because uh, there was a time After I built mine that I had thought about uh, starting a tiny house company and going into business building them uh, Thankfully decided that probably wasn't the best long-term business uh, solution But I remember kind of doing a market analysis and trying to see what the competition would be at, th- at the time And it's grown a lot. I've seen a lot more here in the last couple of years since I've uh since since i built it Um, i think they're everywhere i mean to be completely honest with you when i paid attention to these types of things it feels like the the new version of pop-up general contractor to me (laughs) you know what i mean like all of a sudden uh, an idea comes on board people have a little bit of money and now it's like oh i'll I'll build one of these because i don't really know and maybe you can speak into this what the restrictions are on who can and sell what you know what i mean yeah so there is a like a national licensing body they make regulations that are more or less like a little building code for tiny houses. Um, and a lot of places are uh, like a lot of tiny house communities that you can go park them in. Uh, a lot of those for, I guess, liability and insurance reasons are requiring uh, that you are certified by them. I don't know if they certify builders specifically or you have to go through a certification process for the house. I didn't have the time to go through that process uh, when I was building mine. So I just kind of said, I looked at the standards and said, okay, I'll design it to this just as a, just so I know it's things like, you know, making sure you have enough egress, making sure that like your house is tied down to the trailer enough with bolts and things of that nature. So I followed that for a lot of technical stuff, but, um, but so I would say that's kind of the only regulating body though. They're still considered vehicles uh, by most municipalities. Um, they're not considered homes. They're not licensed uh, or permitted like homes. Got it. So that's kind of the main body you go through. It's How almost like really now. regulated by the DMV at that point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, no, it is. Yeah, that's right. Just, like I had to, I had to update my tag. Like I had yep. to register my tag because of the gross uh, vehicle which, weight rating, right? The yeah, GPWR. exactly. So yeah. that's that's what I have to get updated. It's not interesting. Uh, and it's then not it, permanent in any way. And then in that transport, did you have? kind of thoughts of you know head clearance and stuff like that yeah so like if you that's actually pretty easy to find when you start kind of doing some research on building a tiny home that's kind of the one thing you see everywhere is the highway restrictions yeah uh which is most places it's eight foot six wide uh and 13 six high are the maximums um so i kind of set those as the the kind of bounding box for the house and worked within those parameters um it's bigger in some states like texas of course it is um (laughs) Uh, but yeah if you're if you're traveling through a state you know you got to make sure you meet their minimums. so that's kind of the that's kind of the uh, the maximums i mean eight six wide follows exactly what you're talking about with regards to dmv and basically motor transport Mm-hmm. I mean, I've got a trailer that I just had custom built for some recreational stuff, and you know the limit was eight foot six. Yeah. So you know that's just for highway transportation essentially, and that's why I think that that kind of fits exactly. into that you know that topic you were saying earlier about the DMV basically being that governing body. So what's <laughs> yeah. the square footage? That's scary. Of your house? Uh, so mine is it's about two hundred and forty square feet. It's oh on an eight gosh. by twenty four foot trailer, which would be one ninety six. You should see Ellie's face right now. <laughs> She's like shocked over here. So, question: the closet that you're in right now is that bigger than your house? <laughs> uh, Nobody knew he was in a closet yet, Allie. That was something we talked about before. What are you doing? So now you're gonna have to explain that, Davis. You gotta explain why you're sitting in a, okay, in a closet. So we don't want you to look go, like. I'm gonna go do this at home. This is another issue we can talk about. So, where I park my house is out of town a little bit. It's it's actually at an RV park, which we can talk about that for a long time, but. But so it's out of town a little bit. I just got out of class a little while ago. It's the end of the semester, so we got a lot to do. 
uh, my girlfriend's uh, apartment is a lot closer to campus. So I said, you know what, I'm just going to go record this at her at her apartment and <laughs> so that I can go back and work on more stuff later. Uh, so I'm in her closet right now, which is about as big as my living room. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Not is your girlfriend big. with you right now in the closet? Uh, I think we well, need to understand no, that, no, too. She's not. <laughs> okay. <all right>. Maybe <laughs> later. <laughs> so the, the reason I'm in the closet is for acoustics. Just, so that, <laughs> just to be clear. I've never podcasted before. Uh, so so uh, I wanted to highlight a couple of things really quick on this. Um, so what, what you've kind of been talking about is the, the tiny home on wheels. So I just wanted to distinguish, there's the tiny home on wheels, which is kind of for transport. And then the other tiny home uh, is more kind of stationary, right? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, technically, if you just looked up tiny house, uh, what a lot of people consider a tiny house to be is anything that's 400 square feet or less. It's typically talking about a tiny house on wheels on a trailer, but it can be a tiny house, you know, on a foundation. Okay. Um, You don't see that a lot, though. Uh, on foundation yeah not that small I mean even like accessory dwelling units which are like you know backyard granny flats or, uh, or you know backyard apartments even those tend to be you know six seven eight hundred square yeah, feet like depending casita. on where you are we call it kind of yeah. we tend to call it a casita back on this side over here right west coast but yeah so Davis how often do you go out of your way to be at your girlfriend's house and not be in your 240 square foot careful house? bud careful she's trying to corner you <laughs> Um, I wouldn't, it's not out of the way, so all right. <laughs> it's, it's all the way home. Well done. <laughs> so I don't, I don't, I don't have to go out of my way at all. all right. <laughs> oh, you threw me off with that question. <laughs> um, oh, and then the other thing I was going to, uh, to mention was you talked about kind of the, the legal part of it and permitting. I don't know if you saw this, but uh, the International Residential Council made an announcement that uh, they're going to have a tiny home appendix in the 2018 code. Oh, wow. I did not see that. Yeah. Uh, So they so they've been working on that. So they'll they'll have that in the 2018 code. And at least for California right now, there's a um, efficiency dwelling unit in the line item in, in the California residential code and they have some uh, a couple exceptions to some of the minimum to mention requirements in the code uh, right. so so it's starting to trend that way of, of allowing this this construction and acknowledging that there is a affordable housing issue and trying to make some way uh, for options there yeah no I, I hadn't seen that but that's that's good news um, it's it's hard to know I know like in Austin we've been uh, renew, redoing our code and there's kind of a I'd say there's a somewhat significant tiny house movement group here in uh, in Austin, and even with the the revamping of the code, they haven't been able to get it uh, approved by the city code or really acknowledged by the city code at all. So that it's going in the IRC is really good. Now it's it, who knows how long it'll take uh, uh, cities to adopt the newest version, but yeah. <laughs> uh, the fact the fact that it's in there is good. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've dealt with so many cities that just don't even acknowledge whatever the, the most recent code is. So uh, hopefully they start to adopt it pretty quick. And question. Sorry, I'm going rogue. Yeah. Demetrius is like, stop. <laughs> <laughs> you were talking about how your neighborhood is in a part of town that's out of the way. And that it's a trailer park community. And then you mentioned that there's a fairly big community in Austin of tiny homes. Are there any that are delivering the homes in a desirable location close to the domain or other parts of Austin that young people would want to be in? Uh, no. So that's why, so I'm still very skeptical of the tiny house, especially the tiny house on wheels. Uh, and location I think is actually one of the biggest, this, this is really one of the biggest reasons why. Uh, in fact, I was, I was living in a, it was an exclusively tiny house community, which is more or less a glorified RV park, but <laughs> kind of what I'm um, thinking. Yeah. I mean, and, yeah, and, not, really and not taking a I shot mean, at it, but yeah. I just think that's the well, way that people react to things, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, I could take shots at it all day too. And I won't, I'm not going to talk bad about them, but basically the whole thing went under and we had to move. Um, hmm. and, and we got, we got forced out. So that really left a bad taste in my mouth. And I think that's when I started like, I don't know, just looking a little more critically at the at the problem, uh, at the issue. 
And I realized uh, I had moved, obviously I'd moved the house here to Austin, but I had to then move it again. And I realized the process of, of moving it was just a huge hassle. I mean, you know, you think, oh, it's on wheels. It's not that bad. I mean, it's not nearly as bad as moving houses, uh, like moving, you know, packing up and moving. Uh, but still, it's not, you know, it's not a road trip mobile. Wait, like, but I can't like picture it, why. Why is it well, hard? I was, I was curious if you do it first. What's the weight of that trailer yeah. so far? So mine, mine is not particularly heavy. Like I didn't, it's pretty much all plywood, which is pretty, pretty lightweight. There's no like concrete. There's not much tile. Okay. I didn't use any like stone countertops or anything like that. So, um, and the frame is really lightweight. Uh, but mine is about, I don't remember the exact number. It's somewhere between 10 and 12,000 pounds. That's not too bad. Which, if, it's not bad, but if you know anything about trucks, um, like I have an F-150. And so when I started building Oof. it, I thought, oh, well, I could just pull it with my truck. My uh, truck, I mean, it's older, but it's only got like a payload of five or six thousand pounds. Yeah. Um, so I mean, you're looking at like an F two fifty, twenty five hundred. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, or, and uh, to get that moving, that's a lot of weight. I mean, if you're yeah. pulling that, I don't know. Hopefully, you've got the V eight in that thing, but that's that's yeah. struggling once you get onto any kind of grade, really. And yeah, and not to mention like it's a really nerve wracking thing seeing your house drive down the road. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, there's just there's a lot of like packing it up, getting everything, you know. Um, most everything's built in, but still, you know, like a lot, I got a lot of open shelves and everything that goes yeah. on those shelves and all my books and, uh, you know, I've got a console up in the loft. So like, I got to secure all that stuff down, yeah. which, you know, it, if you're really committed to it, you could find a way to, to design it and to make it where it's really easy and portable. But for most people and for most of the ones I've seen, uh, which are basically just, they're not, they're not designed that way. Uh, a lot of the designs of these things that I've, I've seen, uh, with the people I live next to and all that stuff, they're they're not. There's nothing terribly innovative about the uh, the designs of them. They're just they've got a few bells and whistles to make it look cool, and other than that, they're building them just like any other builder grade home. Well, um, and I'd imagine even though it's on wheels, really the desired impact for for just about anybody, I guess, is to deliver and then park it, and that's it, right? I mean, they're not really looking to travel the world. I think if you go back to what you right. were talking about with the tumbleweed guys. You know, um, I'd imagine that was a much smaller piece that more or less was meant to sleep him and maybe a little bit more than that, but not something that's 10 to 12,000 pounds. That's my guess, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And, and for me, I was in, I mean, a kind of a unique, probably a pretty unique situation where the reason why I did it was I'm going to be in Atlanta, uh, but then I'm moving to Austin. And so it's like, well, I can't <laughs> move to Austin early to build a house because I won't have anywhere to live. Right. Uh, but obviously, I, if I build it in Atlanta, it's got to have a way to get to Austin. So it right. was like, well, I'll just do a tiny house because then I can I can haul it. Um, it wasn't so much like, you know, I, I knew I was going to be here for three years in Austin for, for grad school. I wasn't planning on, on moving it around a lot. I've actually moved it more than I had planned on. Sure. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think I, I don't think that that's the situation for a lot of people. Uh, I don't think that that for most people they're like oh well i'm living here now and i need to build it and then i'm gonna move right uh once it's done so i had this theory um about kind of the future of housing and i kind of in retrospect sounds like a tiny home community uh because of the way that our economy is going everything is going up in costs um we would become more transient uh society Mm -hmm. and you would have to kind of you know, jump from location to location, basically chasing a, a lower cost of living. And it's almost like a tiny home community, um, basically being able to transport your house without, you know, necessarily moving. So it becomes all about land sales um, and just going to these different communities that has a lot and uh, in that individual community has all of these amenities. But Davis, you don't think that's a viable option two years ago, I would have said, I would have like totally agreed. I would have said the same thing. What I've found is that even in the, cause the place I was at was the best of intention. Like it was meant to be that it was like, this, this is going to be this community space. Looking back on it, it kind of sounds like a cult. It really wasn't. Um, but, <laughs> had white but it was like, you know, yeah, we're going to kind of, you know, well, it, it's kind of this co-housing model, which I talk a little bit more about in the book, but which definitely has a, like, it has an edge that might be a little creepy, but it, what it really is, is just, you know, there are things that you don't all, we don't all individually need to own. Like we can live in yeah. a community and like have some stuff that we share together and just have some shared responsibility and live in a kind of, you know, a kind of built in social network there. 
uh, which I think has a lot of positives. And that was kind of what this tiny house community was. But the problem is, and, and this might change with the IRC adopting the tiny house provision. Uh, I, it, you know, that's a, that's a step in the right direction. But basically what, what was going on was, um, one, because of the location, because you can't really afford. Okay. So from a zoning standpoint, you're not allowed to put these in a residential area, a residentially zoned area right. because it's considered an RV right. and you can't inhabit an RV right. in a residential zoned area. So it has to be specially zoned for, for recreational vehicles or industrial space. Like <laughs> yeah. who wants to go live out by all the factories? Um, <laughs> right. So that's just so called infill out here. So the locations weren't good. Um, there's not a lot of, uh, so developers aren't going to invest in these kind of communities because they're not really legal. They're not where, you know, they're not in great locations. Um, so there's not the upfront capital that's necessary to have those kinds of shared resources. Hmm. Um, so basically what you're getting is these kind of like uh, entrepreneurial, uh, libertarian kind of nothing wrong with that. But but these kind of like very independent types of people who are just going to go do it and whatever happens, happens. Right. And that's just not very conducive, I don't think, to this becoming successful widespread. I mean, uh, kind of how you describe it to me, and, I, and this is not meant to be a shot at all, is like gypsy-like. Yeah. It, it, it really is. You like, know what I mean? I think, I think the people who it actually benefits the most are the people who really can be very transient. The people who, right. who like, you know, have designed them where I can just pack up a move and I don't have anything tying me down. I really thought that, that where I was living was going to be this place where, you know, everybody was, was here to be in Austin. Uh, but the truth was like, you know, we're 25 minutes out of town and most of these people just work from home or they're doing, they don't have like traditional jobs, uh, that are, you know, commitments that are going to tie them to one place. But so when, who... so when the place went under, most people just moved, like, like obviously everyone had to move out, but not, not like to somewhere else in Austin. Some people just went like back to Houston or back with family or, hmm. or onto the next place. I don't even know. Um, with more of like a whatever attitude, I guess, right? Yeah, Is that, yeah. I don't it sounds think, like that's what you're describing. There were a couple people who were pretty upset, but I think I was definitely among the most like because I was the most solidified here in Austin. Like, sure. I couldn't leave. I was pretty ticked um, about the way it all went down. Who was it marketed uh, to? Was it saying like, "Oh, hipsters or young people come here and live in this cool society," or was it an affordability play saying, "If you can't afford in the certain parts, then come live here"? You know, I think I expected it to be a lot younger. I mean, there was definitely. It, I, I would say they kind of marketed it that way. And they, well, oh, I'll tell you what they marketed it to. They were marketing it to entrepreneurs and mm. like as this kind of place. That, they called it Austin Live Work, mm. and so they marketed it as this like, yeah, you can go park your tiny house here, but then we'll kind of develop it into this like kind of co-working space as well, mm. which like gives you this. It kind of gives you this picture that like, oh, maybe there's like some space that you could do all that. Like it was a gravel lot. Uh, in the middle of nowhere so i don't really know how they envisioned people like opening up food trucks and things like that but that was kind of their vision um but it was it was a mix of like younger like it was some younger married couples and younger singles but people who were still older than me like older than college age like later millennials i guess um and it was like some i mean but we still had a share like we had some like senior couples like uh, like elderly people and some people who were uh, definitely like middle-aged uh, middle-aged to maybe not quite my parents age but but and, and and it seemed like with folks like that it was definitely an affordability issue which i it was great having that kind of diversity of age like that's always a good thing in a, in a community uh but in a lot of ways it's like it, it's a little bit sad uh, not that anybody who's middle-aged or above shouldn't be living in tiny houses but just to think that this might have been their only real option I don't know. It, it really opened my eyes. Like we've got an issue here. I, I kind of think, you know, what's, what's interesting and um, what you're describing right now, I think goes back to one of the episodes when we were talking about it was, you know, I think if anything, a tiny house may serve a purpose, yeah. you know what I mean? Which yeah. is what I think you were trying to do in creating your, your tiny house, mm-hmm. but that's not the end game. I think in the mind of most of the individuals that may be taking that leap to start, you know what I mean? And, and, Allie and I were kind of laughing about it the one time. It's like, you don't really want a tiny house to live in. You know what I mean? Like for the rest of your life. No. Now, I don't I don't think that that labels everybody, but I, I would think the vast majority of that would look at it to like solve a problem, you know, a, a semi-short-term solution. And then you want to ultimately get into that single mm-hmm. family and everything else yeah. that kind of is, you know, quote unquote, the American dream, yeah. right? Um, yeah. But those so- married couples must have been married couples with no kids. 
Yeah, yeah. Okay. So <laughs> it was married couples with no kids or married couples with really young kids who I'm not sure how wow. much longer they're going to be living in a tiny wow. house. Wow. Oh my gosh. That's, that's impressive. So, I, mean, <laughs> I, I know. I mean, I don't, I'm trying to think. I don't remember there being anyone in that community who had multiple kids. I think we had some who had like babies. Yeah. Or newborn ish. So, yeah, yeah. So like, like something like they had the baby after they had been living in the tiny house. Like, gotcha. That was something they moved into gotcha. with it. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. I don't. I don't see that. That that's one of the things I talk about too. Is it's like it's such a niche market because yeah. um, I can live in it, but I don't think I could do it with somebody else. You know, like I designed it for me, and I think for a lot of people, I mean, there are a lot of young couples who do it from a you know a cost saving standpoint and all that, and that's some people can do that, but most people can't. <laughs> And my and my whole deal with all of this is, you know, I, I I've talked you know about a lot of shortcomings here. I just you know I've really loved mine. I don't I don't want to talk down totally about it. No. But I just I see some really good stuff in it, and and I see an affordable housing you know crisis, if you will. I don't want it to die out just because it was a trend, uh, and then we don't learn any don't learn any lessons from it because I think that there are some some positives to take away from it. Yeah, I wanted, I wanted to point out a couple things. Davis, how how tall are you? Oh, I'm 6'3". <laughs> okay, yeah. Dude. Oh, my gosh. I was, I was a catcher in college. Oh, so. you're a catcher. How are your knees doing, bud? Yeah. I was a catcher for a long time, and then you I played know, goal in hockey. How are you? Uh, Knees are all right. Knees are all right. Uh, hips are not good. Back's not good. <laughs> there you uh, go. It's usually one of those to... three. Whether When yeah. you played catcher or you played goal in hockey, it's either hips, knees, yeah, or back, one or the other. Yeah, yeah it's... It was, it was a worthwhile love. So you're not a small guy to be living in no. that type of space, man. I mean, I'm assuming you got pretty broad shoulders, and I'd imagine. But at the bottom of my of my loft, like the roof joists to my loft, are right at six three. So I guess I'm a little under six three, like six three or six two and a half, six maybe. Uh, but I can stand up in there. Just can't get up on my toes or anything. Uh, but yeah, so it works. I, I brought that up. I, I know you, you mentioned it in your book, but to kind of transition. You know, thinking tiny, uh, you think you don't have room to do anything. How has that experience been? And what are some of those misconceptions that, that you either agree with uh, or disagree with or, you know? Yeah. So so I think, yeah, the, like the one that you're kind of getting at here is that like you have to be a small person to be able to live in a tiny house. Which, <laughs> you know, definitely isn't true. Yeah. Um, as far as like having enough space to to really do everything you need to do. I definitely now I, I don't really do a lot of schoolwork at home. Demetrius, I mean you obviously know this yeah. architect's desk. I mean you got big drawings. You, you kinda gotta spread out a little bit. Um, but most of the stuff, like if I'm just working on my computer, uh, I've got plenty of workspace at home. Uh, my kitchen is plenty large enough for me to I've got plenty of prep space and I have a full range. Like a lot of people just do like plug in cooktops. Like I've got a full stovetop, four burners, okay. oven, all that, all that stuff. Got a full sink, um, so I've got plenty of space to do all that. Just from a kind of an efficient layout, I've got kind of a reading nook and, and a and a bookshelf. Plenty of bookshelf space. I, I have a lot of books. Uh, I really enjoy reading. Got plenty of space to do that and relax. And my living room, my living room's a little bit small. I, I should have just well, my couch is a little bit small for me. Honestly, is the big thing. But you know, I've got plenty of room to, to relax there and my closet is big enough for me um, and I'm you know a lot of times when you see this type of stuff or the kind of minimalist thing like you see these people who have like pared down to like three shirts and two pairs of jeans and that's all they wear which is kind of gross when you think about it yeah. Uh, but yeah so that's that's not me at all like you know I've got I tried to pare down a little bit but it, it, it wasn't I didn't have to pare down all that much I mean I've got you know, plenty of closet space I guess the only real compromise is like I don't have a sink in the bathroom, but uh, which for me is not a problem. For my girlfriend, if she ever <laughs> lived there, it'd probably be a problem. But um, it's not an issue for me because the sink is, you know, the kitchen sink is right outside the bathroom door. So why does it matter? Um, so <laughs> have you, know, you that's kind of the. Do I have you had friends over for happy hour or appetizers? <laughs> <laughs> well, not really. So <laughs> it it's one of those things where like. Um, I always like wanted to throw a party. Like I always wanted to have a bunch of people over and just see how many people we can fit in it. <laughs> One, that's not really that's not really my personality. Like I'm not really the party hosting type. Um, but a lot of it was like you kind of got to have overflow room. Like you got to have at least enough like space outside yeah. for people to like you know you can't do that for long. It's fun for like five minutes. To pack <laughs> up. Yeah, I was watching the uh, the HGTV episode and 
I think you had like three people in there and it was pretty loaded already. Yeah. It does kind of, the design of mine, it bottlenecks in the middle. So like I realized pretty early on, it's definitely not a place that a lot of people are going to want to be at at one time. But, um, so no. And and I will say though, like I would have more people over if you could actually, you know, if I could be in the middle of the city. So, you know, being Hmm. out, out where I'm at, it's not a bad commute. Like it's not nearly as bad as, as what I would be doing if I lived in somewhere like Dallas or Atlanta. Uh, but it's it totally feels disconnected just because of how dense Austin is. So the driving's really not that bad. But but it is uh, you know it's not like I'm like hey why don't we go to my house when they're like why would we do that? Um, I've had friends over like once or twice just to show them like hey I live in this house. Yeah. Uh, that's about it. I, I do I do have an interesting question because you kind of broached on it or it's interesting to me. But you know there there's so many people these days that buy what do you call them toy haulers or travel trailers or whatever it mm-hmm. is. And, and I don't know because I haven't done much research on it, but the cost of them doesn't seem exorbitant. And to me, it would feel like something very similar in nature. I'm, I'm interested in, in your thoughts on that. And then also, you know, I don't know if it's published or shouldn't be published or you talk about it or don't, but you know, do you have a cost figure on what it was to build your house? Um, oh yeah. Yeah. I can talk about that. So, I mean, my neighbors, my next door neighbors are all in RVs, which I'm like, why would you do that? Um, but I guess a lot of people say that about me too. So, uh, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, the thing about RVs is like they, they trick them out, but they don't design them like houses. They don't design them to be like inhabited. They design them to be trailers, which for the mobility purposes, they're a lot better than a tiny house would be. Sure. Um, sure. But I just don't know anybody who would walk into one and go, you know what? This is where I want to live. Like this is the environment I want to be in. Like there's just a, there's a quality and there's things about space and light. Um, that as a designer, I, I mean, I, I think we understand the value of that a lot. And, and I think when you kind of look at the specs, it's like, well, what's really the difference between an RV and a tiny house? Whenever somebody asks me that, I say, you know, look, in, look into my house and tell me it looks like an RV because it doesn't. It's not going to feel okay. like one. Um, as far as like the Airstreams go, though, like, you know, the kind of vintage uh, yeah. uh, travel trailers, yeah. those are pretty cool. Now, a lot of people have uh, – a buddy of mine here at UT lives in one. Um, and a lot of people kind of renovate those to be, to be more tiny house like, um, which again though, I mean, there's still the space in them. Like you don't have as much vertical space as you do in a tiny house. For sure. And I've found in mine that makes a huge difference. So I have a lot of natural light that comes in and the kind of vertical space is what really makes up for the, the kind of narrowness of mine. So I would feel, I'd feel pretty claustrophobic even in a, even in an Airstream, I think. Um, but I think a lot of people are, you know, Airstreams are designed a lot cooler. You know, they have that kind of mid-century modern thing yeah. going on. And so I think that's what's appealing to a lot of people is like, you know, the, the like you said, the price tag on them is pretty reasonable. But as far as the tiny house stuff goes, I see them, um, I would say the, the kind of builder grade ones that I see pre-made, like the, oh, you can buy this or then you can customize it or whatever. Like just a like a box kit almost or whatever. Yeah. So I see those really at the lowest end, maybe in the 50 or $60,000 range. And I see them go all the way up to like over 90, which I think is crazy. And this is, this um, is all I, including like the trailer. It looks like, I mean, you're yeah, probably using like a two by six box steel trailer type of deal. Right. Yeah. Which is that, okay. yeah, that's what mine's on. That's a, it's a yeah tube steel structure. But, but I think that's crazy. Cause I mean, when you look at the price per square foot now, whenever you build smaller, your price per square foot is going to go up because right. what you're, what you're leaving out is the kind of like wasted, or the, the uh, I wouldn't say wasted, but like the kind of dull square footage of things like closets and you know right. just open floor space and, sure. and bedrooms and things like that. So of course your price per square foot is going to be higher, but but like to get to the point where I don't know if you're looking at 250 square feet at a hundred thousand dollars, you know that's four hundred dollars a square foot. That's yeah. crazy for yeah. these things. That's a custom um, house, not, man. <laughs> they're not. It's not. Uh, I, I'm an architect. I got to be able to do that stuff pretty easily. <laughs> uh, it's not. It, it's it just doesn't add up. Um, now, so mine, you asked about mine, uh, mine cost, and I got, I will say the sweat, the sweat equity I put into it, uh, definitely like saved me a lot. Sure. And, I, and I was very mindful about like, you know, materials and things I was using. I used plywood, which is pretty cheap on pretty much everything. Um, so mine ended up costing right at $25,000, um, which I was hoping for a lot less than that. Um, no kidding. but, but even that I felt like was a pretty good. A uh, pretty good investment. So that's right at a little over a hundred dollars a square foot, which I felt like was a good number. Well, so, so if uh, you get eight. the house at ninety thousand, you still have to rent the land somewhere, though. Yeah, exactly. That was my yes. next question. Yeah, that's like the biggest. So, so when I, it's frustrating. So these are these are the issues. Like you've got you've got issues like this where, 
even in Austin, like, yeah, renting an RV, you know, an RV plot is much cheaper than, than it would if I had my own apartment. But, you know, I wasn't really factoring in, you know, $500 a month, or whatever. Uh, it's a park, you know, it's, it's a rent payment. Um, which, you know, you think when you build a house, you're like, oh, well, I'm not gonna have to pay rent anymore. Right. Um, you think, okay, maybe, maybe I'll throw somebody a hundred dollars to park it in their backyard. Right. Uh, you know, in Austin, we've got long narrow lots i thought that was kind of the dream it was like i'll find somebody they'll let me park it in their backyard I'll talk about this in the book a little bit but you know i'll park it in their backyard maybe i'll uh you know i'll pay a hundred dollars a month or whatever just to just to hook it up to their utilities and then i'll pay for what i use in utilities you know we've got these great awesome live oak trees here in austin that keep everything shaded sure and you know it you know it'll be this awesome space back in the backyard i'll build a patio or something we'll drink beer together it'll be great and <laughs> and you know and i get here and i'm in this like middle of nowhere gravel open lot it's the middle of the summertime the texas sun is blazing actually it was pouring down rain the, the day i got here um and i was soaked getting it set up and it was just like this is not this was not the vision uh, <laughs> Um, and I mean, and, and, you know, that's, that's, that's life, I guess, in a lot of ways, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I just, there's just so many other things like that, like the, the land and, and the rent. Well, what's, um, what's normal rent running for in, in Austin? Well, yeah, you, you're, you're in your, your girlfriend's apartment or whatever, right? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So <laughs> or what, closet. I mean, give it, you know, yeah, give us yeah, the yeah, full rate. <laughs> yeah. I, I talking around to people who are in school here and Allie, you might actually know yeah. this better uh, with my peers and, and you know, who are in fairly cheap housing. Uh, I want to say it's probably around a thousand to twelve hundred a month for you know a one bedroom studio apartment. I would have said fifteen hundred. Uh, yeah, that's. I mean, depending on where you're at in town, yeah, uh, it's definitely going to get up to that. And I mean, obviously, it can go a lot higher yeah, than that in downtown uh, if you're looking at more higher square footage. All that's that crazy. stuff. Crazy. So. Fifteen hundred bucks, man. I know yeah. people that would be killing to pay that out here. Yeah. <laughs> so you're you're relatively at a, a third of that. Um, right. For- yeah. So, so overall, yeah, I mean, it, it's still a really good deal. Um, it's just, you know, it's one of those costs that, that you're thinking is going to be a lot less than that. Well, and know. it must be because you live in Austin. Cause I have a friend who bought a single family detached house in Cleveland for a hundred thousand. So, it's, so for her, she's probably like, oh my gosh, yeah. she has a 15 year mortgage and she has this wonderful house and okay. Wonderful is a stretch. How, she has a house. Yeah. <laughs> how, oh, yeah. how big is that? Cleveland, you probably shouldn't build a tiny house. Yeah. Just, yeah. Uh, her house is 1400 square feet. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. It's old. Yeah. Yeah. But, Interesting. Yeah. So the, the homes that, um, Davis mentioned, like the kind of on the higher end, the 90 to 100,000. Mm-hmm. Those are really um, high quality manufactured. They're not necessarily saying that it's a, a good trade-off, but um, it, it has some value in that, that quality level. Yeah, it's, it, you know, it's, it's hard for me to imagine, yeah. you know what I mean, the, the cost that goes into these types of things. And, you know, I find myself pretty handy. You know, I build structures for the kids in our backyard and stuff like that. And there's so many different ways it can go. You know what I mean? Yeah. I could I could see very easily, you know, what what Davis was doing originally in the build of his and how basic you can make it. I'm not I'm not calling your house basic, bud, but you know, there's there's a lot of ways I think yeah, that you can achieve that. a structure. You know what I mean? It, very very uh, cost effectively, let's call it. Mm-hmm. Um, versus, you know, it's all in the materials, right? Like you said, you're using plywood, maybe some. I don't know if you did steel framing or, or steel set framing or what. But you could go pretty crazy on some of these other things with, you know, high-end maples and um, other types of wood materials and metals and, you know, all that type of stuff. So sliding doors, I mean, everything, right? So I guess yeah. I guess you can go as nuts yeah. as you want, really. Yeah, it really it really does, which is, uh, you know, that's the, I think that's the challenge for a lot of people is, is they see this as like, oh, this is my chance to have my dream home because it's going to be cheap so I can go all out and splurge on everything. And I mean, that adds up quick. I mean, like I said, the, the price per square foot, if you're looking at it thinking, you know, I could build a house on a foundation for $150 a square foot so I can do a tiny house for that. It's not going to be, it's not going to be the same. Wait, but you don't have air conditioning, do you? Uh, I don't, which is a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. So I, I had a, I had a, like a window unit, yeah, like, like a, a portable unit. It, it was, it had an app that was tied to it and everything, which was really nice. It was pretty it was pretty strong. It was just located bad. I, what I did a bad job of in the design phase was, was thinking, 
about the circulation of the air. Airflow. So basically, the only place I could put that window unit was in a window that was below the loft. Oh. And the loft is the one place that gets really, really hot, unbearably hot. Yeah. And so there was no circulation for it to get up there. Um, so it ended up kind of burning out on me. Uh, and it was, you know, I, I, it was never unbearable. I mean, I, I kept it running and I'd have a fan and, you know, get used to living in 77 degrees as opposed to uh, 68 or whatever. But, but the but, noise must uh, be irritating, too, because you don't have, at least for our air conditioning, we even got a slightly energy efficient one, but you can definitely hear it. If you're in such a small space, it must yeah, be irritating. The units aren't too bad. The window yeah, units? It's, yeah, I mean, the one that it. I got was pretty recent, so it was pretty quiet. Like, it was mm-hmm. made by uh, GE, and they had, like, it was uh, uh, it was pretty sleek. Like, you, you think window unit, you kind of think of, like, a you know, redneck, old-school, you know, box hanging out the window. Yeah. Um, but it was it a was pretty sleek unit. Yeah. What I ended up getting was uh, when that kind of burned out on me, and I realized it wasn't strong enough, I got, you know, they make the kind of portable. Yep, uh, just plug them in. You, yeah, just plug it in. I mean, it, it takes up way too much space, though. Like, yeah. I, I had to do it. I live in Texas. I mean, you you, you got to do it. But yeah. um, it was that was a pretty that was a pretty bad uh, design screw up there on my part. Um, which if I could go back and do it again, you know, I'd figure that out better. But but I mean, it's one of those things. Like you know, I don't know how to install HVAC. Uh, I don't know how that's gonna work on something that moves. I got nine weeks to build it. Smart window unit. That sounds good. It says it'll it says it'll do three hundred square feet or whatever. That's bigger than my house, and you yep. just go with it and. Uh, it's one of those things you learn. You learn it's a little more complicated than just going off of the specs on the box. Well, I think that's something that's kind of neat, though, even just about life in general. As you're going through, you know, architect, you know, drawing up plans and stuff, I'll bet you you look at airflow and that type of stuff way more yeah. than you probably would have previously, right? Oh, exactly. And, like, if you – you guys have seen the photos of it. Uh, anybody listening should, should t- check it out on my website and kind of see what we're talking about here. But um, the, the kind of top of the, the house is wrapped in this – uh, kind of translucent it's kind of a plastic material actually uh so it lets a lot of light in and it's it's more diffuse than glass and it's really good uh it, it performs really well thermally uh relative to glass but what i used was basically a quarter inch sheet and that was it on uh, studs like one layer yikes. and like i say that now and i'm like what dude why why did you think that was going to be enough <laughs> uh, and it, it's it gets real hot um yeah, fast i will say like the light because of that design thing was awesome like i wouldn't go back and do it again differently i would just uh i would do it differently i would do it so it was a little more robust i'd use thicker pieces and kind of do both sides of the studs but but the material itself i really like i mean the, the light quality is is awesome uh, but yeah it definitely is it's not the the most airtight or the most uh, thermally resistive material yes i just pulled up some uh, some photos of of the Canetto house is the name German what you named your house? <laughs> I don't know why I named it this. <laughs> <laughs> it's like if you mix the, it's like if you mix, I think it's Japanese and German, which I'm like, <laughs> why would you mix roots? You know? but, um, it's, yeah, so Kanito is, I guess, Japanese, I think, for uh, movement. Yeah, it's thinking like kinetic, house, right? Obviously, it's yeah. is German for house. So yeah. it's more fun to spell it with an AU. As opposed to an OU. It does sound very architectural. Uh, it, it does. <laughs> it right? would be what so an architect like, would do. <laughs> I, I, think, I think when we were building it, we just like decided to give it a name and we were pitching it to HGTV. And so I think we were like, oh yeah, moving house, Canito house, that works. And like looking back on it, I was like trying to explain it to somebody. I was like, yeah, so I kind of mixed languages there. I'm not Japanese or German, so it really has no. <laughs> hey, Davis. Um, I was curious, why do you think people are kind of gravitating towards this this concept um it's there's a lot of things that have gone into this i think for for people my age especially and and we talked about it i mean a a lot of the people i lived with that were also in tiny houses aren't all my age but for people my age who who find it really fascinating i think we kind of grew up uh and like our formative years were, were following the recession and we saw like you know our parents have poured you know all this time and money into the homes that they own. And now all of a sudden with on one day, like the value just plummeted yeah, sure. uh, and you're underwater. And, uh, and so I think a lot of us are really skeptical of that. Uh, I think also the kind of influx of information that we get every day now, uh, in the last, you know, 10 years since the iPhone came out and like, you know, the ubiquity of smartphones and you're always connected now and, you know, not necessarily in all positive ways and yeah. definitely not in a way that can replace physical reality. But, there is this kind of like, I want to get away. Like I want to have a place 
where, you know, I want to be in the city. I want to be involved in all of it. I want to, you know, live in these places and, and have this kind of like we were talking about it, joking with my friends the other day about like experiential consumerism that millennials are all into. And I totally am, too. Like uh, I'm like a total stereotypical millennial. But but I think, yeah, I, I think that people are also trying to find a balance to that. What I talk about several times in the book is and I struggle with myself. A lot of millennials, and some of this has to do, I think, more with just the acceptance of, like, the advancement of the science behind it. Uh, but a lot of millennials uh, struggle with anxiety and depression and mental disorders more than people in the past as well. Right. And I think when you look at all of those things, uh, I think that there's like this this one thing that everybody's like kind of looking for, and it's like like a place to rest and to slow down and to not be overwhelmed by everything going on around them. Um, and I think. What I said, I think the way I said it in the book is like, I think that that's all those things are why people are looking for tiny houses. I think they're kind of looking for this more minimalist, kind of pared back, like a more balance. sustainable, feeling good about yourself because you've got a smaller footprint lifestyle. But I have no idea if everyone's finding it. I don't know if the people who are looking for that in this movement are actually being satisfied with it, I guess. So it sounds like balance. Sounds like it, you know when I'm totally. listening to, to you describe that to me, it sounds like they're looking for something else to balance out the overwhelming amount of emotion and activity and connectivity and all that type of stuff. That that's yeah. that's how I'm taking that at least. I don't know about you guys, but yeah. that's what kind of yeah. sounds like to me. And I struggle I struggle with this whole concept of the tiny home because on one end, I think of you know what we come accustomed to lately mm -hmm. of the kind of McMansion homes that are 2,000 to 3,000 square foot mm -hmm. and this idea of the American dream that mm -hmm. we mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. um, and then all of a sudden the economy pushes you in another direction where your lots are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. You're five feet mm -hmm. away from your neighbor. Uh, now your house is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. But I, I'm also reminded to the fact that prior to the suburban boom homes were you know in the range of uh what i think it was like 900 square feet yeah. and on the high right. end like 1500 right yeah. um so so we've almost become conditioned to this more bigger space unnecessarily when all of our stuff is getting smaller and smaller yeah our tvs yeah. are getting smaller i mean we everything we have i don't know is, about you the last tv i bought brother was bigger i don't, but it's, I don't know but it's it may flat. be thinner yeah. but it is bigger yeah. but it's flat and it just goes up against the wall true, 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 true. uh so i think there's there's part of it of this you know breaking the habit of you know living in in this certain thing that you were sold and getting back to what you actually need and what you use so there's there's definitely that balance you well, have to find between the tiny house and the the McMansion. Well, I think I think that resonates with me because I mean a lot of the product that we work on, you know, is in the twenty five hundred, three thousand, four thousand. Heck, I'm, we're dealing with houses right now that are in the six thousand square foot range, right? right? Like who buys these? And things? and I and I mean it's dude, don't get me wrong, and I'm sure you guys as architects and we all love and it, you know Ali, I'm sure you do too. Love walking through these houses. Don't get me wrong, it's awesome. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're they're amazing. But to me, you know, the size house that I always wanted was like anywhere between 18 and 2,400 square feet. And I have a yeah. family of four, yeah. you know yeah, what I mean? And our, and our house, as you've seen it, our yeah. house right now is 1,800 feet. And you, know, you don't really need yeah. more than that. I mean, I, I don't want my kids to be able to go that far away from me in our own house. <laughs> but I feel know? like you definitely need that because our house is... 1300 square feet and we're like oh my gosh there's two of us and if we put any more than one because you have like 14 pets dude <laughs> no. i mean come on no but it, i feel like we're already <laughs> stepping on each other's toes so i think they're i think back to my apartment living and i don't know how i ever got used to living in 900 square feet because it was so tiny yeah i think i think the first place i had it was a it was a two bedroom two and a half bath you know townhome right and i don't remember the size but i want to say it was like right at a thousand feet mm-hmm mm -hmm. And my wife and I lived there when we got married for probably, I had lived there with a roommate, you know, mm -hmm. and, and Davis and I were saying 500 bucks to rent the space. He was paying me 500 bucks, you know, mm -hmm. a month to, to yeah. rent the other room, which apparently I was giving a smoking deal and I never knew it. <laughs> but we lived there for a while and it was fine. Now you add another kid into the mix and it's like, okay, that works. You have two kids. Now you got to put them in the same room, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it starts to feel like it's really opening up when truly it's not that bad, yeah. but but I think we're balancing this desire for the for 
for what looks awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you, you see on TV. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and what you really need, yeah. you know, and I struggle with that balance all the time. I prefer being outside and those types of things. So maybe I'm not the proper, you know, one to look at it from that size. But I mean, in 1800 feet, we've got plenty of space. Everybody can find their own room and be away from each other. Mm-hmm. Now we can't entertain 30 people inside yeah. the house. But I think that goes back also to what Davis was saying. If you had more of an outside area yeah. where people could kind of congregate in conjunction with going in and out, it, it's a little bit of a different situation. But I, you know, I, I understand what we're talking about in, in that situation is that, yeah, you know, you don't need something so massive. It's nice to go home to something that's not in excess in, in, yeah. you know, and trust me, we're not living bad. Don't get me wrong. Jason, I think you're right on. I mean, you know, 1800 square feet for some other families with, with kids, you know, might not be enough. But I think that's kind of my point with in the book is I'm not here saying that everyone should be living in 240 square feet. Like that's right. not really, that's not realistic. What it is, is like if you're living in 3,600 square feet right now <laughs> and you're thinking about moving sometime soon, rather than just assuming that's what you need, you know, can you look at it realistically and go, you know what, I don't need all this space. Like I can right. do with less. I think that's the type of attitude. I think that's going to be really beneficial for a lot of people, whether it's financially, uh, mentally, and just from a stress level. Uh, definitely environmentally, you know, that at a large scale would, would make some would make some good changes. Um, but yeah, I think it's just like kind of a challenging of like, okay, why is it that, um, you know, why is it that I need this size of a home? Why is it that I need to pay for this home over right. 30 years? Like, do I need to do that? Are there right. other ways I can do that? Um, because that's, a long time. I don't know anyone <laughs> who thinks, you know what? I definitely want to live in this house for 30 years. Like I built my house for me and I love it. And I would not live in this house for 30 years. So <laughs> I mean, if you're talking about financing it over that time, I mean, that's, yeah. that's a huge commitment. Um, so I just think that I think we have opportunities here to kind of rethink, especially for designers to kind of rethink, like, why are we doing what we're doing? Are we doing it the best way? There's definitely things that are in place because they've been the most successful over time. But on the, you know, on the flip side of that, just to say, well, this is the way we've always done it is never a good reason to do anything. Amen to that. Uh, especially the way things are moving now. Like if you don't innovate, if you just sit back on your laurels and just do do yep. things because that's how you do them, yep. you're going to get beat. Uh, it's just the way it goes. And, and so, I mean, you can look at it as a competition thing or you can look at it as an opportunity to, to make things better. So one of my new favorite people right here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think there's a lot of elements here that you can pull out. And finding that balance between the the large home and and what the small home is, and providing basically a humane home, uh, a yeah. home that is available to the majority of people, not just people that are of a certain income or uh, availability. So, I think there's a lot to kind of digest. Again, Davis has a book that lays out his whole experience in detail, all the things that he loved and hated about the process and and all the different kind of components that that revolve around this topic of housing and and tiny homes so davis uh if you didn't have anything else i wanted to to thank you again very much for for doing this did you want to go ahead and plug uh your website one more time oh yeah it's just davisrichardson.com okay and then at davis richardson Uh, design yeah yeah, at Davis Richardson Design. Okay. It's a little long. Yeah. It should, should be straightforward. Yeah. It's very original, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So thanks again, Davis. And this week, we don't have any listener mail. Uh, but if you want to send us anything regarding this, uh, this topic, uh, your experience living in a tiny home or why you would never live in one. Oh, one, one quick thing. We did. I sent out a poll. And was it 67% of our followers said that they would live in a tiny home? Really? Oh, wow. They're lying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they won't do it. Yeah. Say that. <laughs> Say on an Instagram poll. Yeah. yeah it's it's yeah, an true. Instagram poll. So. Yeah, true. Um, Fake news. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can email us at hello at spacespodcast.com. Uh, see us on Facebook, uh, Spaces Podcast. On Twitter at Spaces Podcast, on Instagram, Spaces Podcast, and on LinkedIn, LinkedIn.com slash company slash spaces dash podcasts. And thank you again for spending some time with us. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, 
Please rate or like it and forward the link to your friend. Your support is the only way that this show grows. And if you just stumbled upon the show, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss another episode. Also, check out spacespodcast.com. And with all that said, if you're catching up, hit next. Or if you're listening as we put these out, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Thanks. Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise. From 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm.